The Writings of Isaac Pennington, Volume 2, Chapter 12 A Further Testimony Concerning the Work of God Upon Our Hearts We are a people, many of us, who have been greatly distressed for lack of that life and power which was revealed in the Apostles' days. We are a race of travelers who have been traveling out of the nature, wisdom, spirit, and course of this world, which is vain and passes away, towards our resting place. We have wandered from mountain to hill, from one way of religion to another, seeking after him whom our souls dearly loved. Indeed, the watchmen have often laughed at us and mocked us, wishing us to return to them. But that would not still the cry of our souls, which were sick with earnest desire, not after formal ways of religion, but after life and immortality, that it might be again brought to light, as it had been in the apostles' days, and that our souls might be made partakers of it. Now, after many a weary step and deep sickness of heart, when we had come near to despair of ever finding and enjoying what our souls so sorely longed after, it pleased the Lord at length in his tender mercy to appear among us. And by the directions of his Holy Spirit, he taught us to turn our minds inward, showing us that what we sought without was to be found within. Indeed, he told us that there, within, was the kingdom of God, which was not to be found by observations without, but by meeting with and being subject to the light and power of life. And when we were concerned how to discern it from the darkness and deceit within, this answer was given us from the Lord. Its nature will discover itself, for it will find out and reprove whatever is reprovable and furnish the soul with strength against it. Oh, what a blessed sound from the Lord God of life, who thus drew our hearts to wait upon him and showed us how to wait and what to wait for and where we might meet with what our hearts so exceedingly desired and panted after. And truly, as our minds were thus turned inwards, the holy light did shine upon us from the sun of righteousness and the pure life and nature from the Son of God did spring up in us we felt the power of God revealed in our hearts and the old image of sin and unrighteousness daily defacing and our souls being created anew in Christ Jesus into the holy and heavenly image. Here we felt the mercy of God, the same which saved his people in all ages, reaching to us also, and we found his spirit regenerating, renewing, and washing us with the water and blood which cleanses. And as we were regenerated and renewed more and more, so we were also washed more and more, and came more into fellowship with Christ in his death, and were also raised up by him more and more into his life, and taught to set our affections more on things above and less on things below. For the things below are of an ensnaring and entangling nature, in which the minds of the sons of men are held captive, until they meet with that royal, excellent, noble spirit and power which breaks the chains and fetters of darkness and redeems out of them. And now we can testify, in a true sense, and in the evidence and demonstration of God's Spirit, that not by working, willing, or running of ourselves, 
not by any works of righteousness which we had done or could do, but by the tender mercy of God visiting, and by the operation of His Holy Spirit upon us, in and through regenerating, renewing, and washing us from that which defiled and stained our souls, we were saved from the wrath to come, and from the ways of transgression wherein we walked, before our God thus visited us. Now it is the sincere desire of our souls that this tender mercy of God might take effect on others also, and that they might likewise be taken by him to the place where wisdom teaches her children, and where the true redemption of the soul is witnessed, and the true knowledge of the Father and of Christ, which is life eternal, is given and received. It is our earnest desire that people not be hardened unto destruction, and deceived in their souls by a foolish and vain religion, wherein is not the substance, but only some show and appearance thereof, which cannot really satisfy that which is indeed begotten and born of God's Spirit. Some Inquiries to be Seriously Considered Inquiry number 1. Who do truly and rightly know and own the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it they who only know and own Him as He is outwardly described and spoken of in the Scriptures, but do not know Him inwardly revealed in their hearts as the Word and power of eternal life? Or is it rather they who not only know Him according to a literal description in the Scriptures, but also as inwardly revealed by the Father, witnessing Him formed within them, and their hearts changed into His holy and heavenly image, by the virtue of his inward appearance and the operation of his spirit and power in them. Inquiry number two. Who do truly and rightly know the death and resurrection of Christ? Is it they who know only the relation of these things in the scriptures, but are not made conformable to his death, nor raised up by him in the power of his life? Or is it rather they who are buried with him, by the holy baptism of his Spirit, into death, and who, through the Spirit, have mortified the deeds of the body. Indeed, these witness the holy seed of life raised and living in them, and find themselves raised and made alive to God in and through the power of the Father revealed in them. Inquiry number three. Who do truly and rightly confess Christ to be Lord and King, priest and prophet of his people? Is it they who confess it only from the reading of it in the scriptures? Or is it rather they who witness him exercising these things within them? Indeed, do they not truly know Christ who experience him, overcoming and reigning over sin and death in them, and ministering as in his temple? offering spiritual gifts and sacrifices to his Father, and also prophesying there, opening and revealing the mysteries of his kingdom? Inquiry number four. Do they, or can they, truly know Christ's voice who never experienced the word of life speaking in their hearts? Where does the false prophet speak? Does he not speak within? And where does the true shepherd speak? Does he not speak also in the heart? And do not the sheep hear, know, and distinguish his voice there? Inquiry number five. Who are engrafted into Christ? 
Can anyone be engrafted into him except as Christ is inwardly revealed and made known, insomuch as he sensibly feels the pure, holy root of life bear him, and its sap springing up in him, causing him to bring forth fruit to God in due season? Inquiry number six. Who prays in the name of Christ? Is it he who says these or such like words in his own will? Hear me, O Lord, for Christ's sake, or I beg of you in Christ's name who is worthy, etc. Is it not rather he who prays in the child's nature, with the Father's breathing upon him, in the spirit of the Father which is given him, and in the time and will of the Father? He that does but sigh or groan in and from the Spirit, does not that sigh or groan ascend up to the Father in Christ's name? Alas, how outward is men's religion! But the inward streams and currents of the true, pure, and heavenly religion they do not know. Inquiry number seven. Who do truly and rightly believe in Christ? Do any do so, or can any do so? but those who first feel the life from which the true faith springs? Oh, that all the faith in men were dashed, except for what comes out from life, unites to life, and abides in life. Inquiry number eight. Whom does Christ gather from the barren mountains? Is it not his sheep, his poor, distressed, scattered, wounded, fainting, and almost famished sheep? What are the mountains he gathers them from? Are they not the several dead ways, worships, and professions of religion without life? And out of whose mouths does he rescue them? Is it not out of the mouths of the shepherds that have made a prey of them, who have not fed them with life, but rather with words, with dreams, with apprehensions of their own mind concerning the things of God? Inquiry number nine. Who are Christ's kindred according to the Spirit? Who is his mother, sister, and brother? Are any so except they that do the will of the Father? And is this obedience a working according to the law or the righteousness of the law? No, it is the nature and righteousness of the gospel which flows out from him who is righteous. Inquiry number 10. Are there two Christs? one manifested without and another revealed within? Or is it the same Lord Jesus Christ who, in the days of his flesh, appeared outwardly and was afterward manifested within as the mystery of life and the hope of glory? And is he not also, in this our day, revealed and made known within unto us by the same eternal Spirit? There are a great many who profess the gospel state, and that they are in Christ, and under grace, and freely justified by grace, so that they look upon their sins as covered by the Lord and not imputed to them. Many profess these things, and yet do not at all know what they mean truly and rightly as in God's sight. For it is a great matter to be in Christ, even to know Him that is true, and to be in Him that is true. It is a great thing to come out of darkness into His light, out of death into his life, out of Satan's kingdom, and out of subjection to sin into Christ's kingdom and into subjection to his spirit. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. Is this true? 
Does he that is in Christ witness this? And he that does not witness this, is he in Christ? Oh, how many are deceived about their being in him and of their hope in him. For how few of those who talk of being in Christ know what the new creation in him means, or what it is to have Christ formed in them. How few know his spirit by receiving it and by their union with it. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Romans 8, 9. Oh, how few truly know what it is to be under grace. For grace is that which has dominion over sin, and which gives dominion to those that are under it. Sin shall not have dominion over you, said the apostle, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Therefore, do not yield your members as servants or instruments to sin. You did so when you were free from righteousness. But now, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, seeing that grace gives you power over it, and makes you free from it unto righteousness. So, the justification by grace is only to those who are taught by grace. The grace of God brings salvation, redemption, and justification to these and to no others, for sins are blotted out, covered, and not imputed in those who receive grace, hear the voice of it, and obey it. Hear, and your souls shall live. In hearing this grace, by which God teaches, souls come to light in his sight, and the living are justified by him, and in the living way and path of life sins are blotted out, and a garment is given which covers the nakedness. This garment is to be girded about the soul and kept close on, or the nakedness and shame will appear and be seen again. So, to believe in the name of Christ, and to run to his name, and trust in his name, and pray to the Father in his name, and obey in his name and power, these are great matters, and very few of those that make profession of them truly know them. For his name is living, and his presence, heavenly virtue, and power is in it. They that know his name know that which is above every name. They know that which has authority from God to bring all things under, both in the heart and also in life and conduct, that God alone may be exalted. The gospel state is a great state, a high state, a state not of shadowy things, but of the everlasting kingdom, where the substance of the things under the law is possessed by those that are there, as they grow up in the gospel power and covenant. Concerning some particulars. Concerning the form of sound words, 2 Timothy 1.13. Not only the form of sound words, but also the good knowledge of the heavenly things themselves have been miserably lost and buried in the ruins of the great apostasy. Now, though men have had the scriptures, yet lacking the Spirit of God, and not knowing how to turn their minds to him and distinguish his voice from the voice of their own spirits and reasonings, yes, and of the enemy also, who lies in wait to steal into men's minds false apprehensions from the scriptures, they have not come into a clear understanding either of the things or words of scripture. Instead, with the knowledge and apprehension of things which they have gathered, they have many times been ready to fight against Christ rather than Antichrist. So it is that their confessions of faith 
and their expositions of scriptures have been mixed things, more suiting to their own beliefs and apprehensions than the true nature of the things themselves. Yes, by this gathered knowledge, they have been in great danger of opposing the pure administration of God's truth, which is from and in the light and power of his own spirit. Likewise, the churches that such men have gathered and built up have been built by way of imitation of something that was done formerly by the power and authority of the Spirit, but not in the same power, life, and authority. The same might be said of their ordinances and duties, wherein they have erred very much. It is true, some of you have rejected some wood, hay, and stubble, and we acknowledge the Lord's goodness to you in that you have gone so far. But there is yet more to be rejected. All imitations and knowledges and interpretations of Scripture outside of the pure life are to be laid aside, and the Spirit of the Lord is to be waited upon in the light which is of Him. Here the mind is to be turned and truly learned to abide. O oh, professors of Christianity, you would know much more of Him if you were acquainted with Him in His own way and worshipped Him in the everlasting ordinance which is the pure light of his Son. For this light was before the letter, and brings the soul nearer to the Lord than the letter can, and gives a fuller communion with the Lord in spirit than can be had or enjoyed through words or conceptions of things. And the purpose of the letter's testimony is to bring the soul into the spirit and power which is the administration of the gospel. Concerning Doctrines Men lay the great stress upon acknowledging doctrines according to their apprehensions of them, but they must yet come much further out of Babylon, out of man's spirit and wisdom. Truly, they must come more into the pure fear and waiting upon God, more into the sense and power of truth, and into the light and knowledge which is there, before their doctrines will be owned by the Lord." And this springs in my heart in true love and tenderness and in melting compassion concerning you. Oh, that you held on to the head. I question not whether you hold notions about the head, according to your understanding of things. But to hold the head is a far deeper thing indeed. Again, a man may apprehend his doctrines to be right, as to the main substantial things, when indeed they are not so. For the doctrines of the gospel are mysteries. Faith is a mystery. The love of God in the Spirit is a mystery. Obedience to the truth is a mystery. The right confession of Christ in and through the Spirit is a mystery. The worship of God in Spirit is a mystery. Justification, sanctification, and the peace and joy of the Spirit, all are mysteries of the kingdom, and it is easy missing and misunderstanding these things, but hard to come to the true knowledge of them. And indeed, if any of the true inward spiritual knowledge of these things is received at any time, it is hard retaining it, no, impossible to do so rightly, except in that light and power which gave it. Truly, this is the great mystery of religion, namely, to begin in the Spirit and so to travel on in the pure light, life, and knowledge thereof, and not to entertain or mix with anything of the flesh. But now, 
If a man does not have the Spirit of Christ, or if he is not able to distinguish the Spirit of Christ and its voice, motions, and workings from the other spirit, and from his own wisdom and understanding, then, when he reads the Scripture, he may easily err and mistake about its doctrines. He may let in something of his own, or of the other spirits forming, instead of that which is the pure truth of God. And then, this thing which he has so let in will cause him to misjudge concerning the truth, and often make him a great enemy to it. This was the case of the scribes and Pharisees and great priests in the time of Christ. They studied the law, gave interpretations of it, being appointed by God to preserve the people's knowledge. By their understanding of the law and prophets, Christ could not be the Messiah, for plainly his appearance disagreed with the law and the prophets according to their understanding of them. So that, whereas many say, our religion consists first in right apprehensions of Scripture, we, on the other hand, cannot help but testify, as we have been convinced by the Lord, that a man must first receive the Spirit before he can have right apprehensions about the mysteries of God. For the Spirit searches the deep things of God, and no one knows the things of God except by the Spirit. Therefore, there is a necessity for people first to be turned to the Spirit of God. This is the first step in the way to true saving knowledge. Concerning the Work of Light Christ, who had all power given him by the Father, and authority to send forth messengers to preach the gospel of his salvation, sent forth his apostles and servants to testify of and declare it. Now, that which they were to preach and testify of was the one who was from the beginning, even the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto them. And this is the message which they heard from him and were to declare to others, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And this word of faith, this word which was from the beginning, this word which reconciles the soul to God, they were to preach as being near in the heart and in the mouth. And the intent of their preaching and testifying of this was to turn men to it, from the darkness within to the light within, from the power of Satan within to the power of God within. See Acts 26 verse 18 and following. Now here, being turned to this light, it discovers the darkness, the lost state, the captivity, the bonds, the misery of the soul, and enables the soul to long after the Savior. And not only this, but the light also shows the Savior whom it causes the soul to long after. And in the waiting upon the Savior, in the light which is of him, it gives also to partake of his salvation. And now, God having demonstrated this thing to us, showing us what it is, and giving us to partake of the precious virtues of it, how can we call it anything less than a measure of Christ, a measure of his Spirit, the seed of the kingdom, the heavenly leaven, etc.? For we know and experience it assuredly to be that very thing which Christ described in his parables. Now, that thing in man which is offended at us for this, we know to be not the true birth, but rather the birth of another wisdom, which is to be cast out with its mother. And indeed, 
It will be a happy day for you if you ever come to witness the casting of it out. But this you will never witness until you come to know and own and become subject to Christ within, to the pure commandment and word of life in the heart, to the law which comes out of Zion, and to the testimony and word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And any that do not come to know the wrong birth cast out of them by the power, they will thereby be cast out with it. Now, as for the idea that there are some glimmerings of light remaining in fallen man, directing him concerning many morally good things, such as to honor parents, to deal justly, to do as we would be done unto, etc. If it is meant a light distinct from the spirit and divine nature of God, I desire you to manifest such an idea from Scripture. For Adam was to die the death that very day that he sinned, and death and the curse came upon his posterity, who are dead in trespasses and sins. But the light that discovers and leads out of evil is from Christ alone. That which makes sin manifest is his light. Now, I read in Scripture that the grace which brings salvation has appeared to all men, and that it teaches men to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and gives them strength so to do. I read that it is the work of the Spirit to convince of sin, and that the Spirit of the Lord strived with the old world to reduce them from their evil ways, and that He gave the Jews His good Spirit to instruct them, though they rebelled against Him. But that there are some glimmerings of light distinct from the Spirit of Christ, teaching fallen men to do good, and some corresponding strength in man to walk accordingly, I do not read in Scripture. It is the promise of the new covenant that God will write his laws in the heart. And whatever measure of his law is written in any man's heart, it is so done by him alone. For man is dead unto God's law naturally, and his eye is blinded by the God of this world. So then, that which opens man's eye to see what the law says, this is the light of the Spirit. For that which makes manifest is light, Ephesians 5.13. And that which may be known of God in the Gentiles is made manifest to them by the light of God in them, Romans 1.19. This light shines in their darkness, and their darkness cannot comprehend it. But the light fathoms and comprehends the darkness, and is able to gather the mind out of it. For when the mind is made subject to the light, in the will which the light creates and begets through the eternal power which comes by it and is present with it, it can be delivered from the darkness. And since this light comes from Christ, for he is the true light that enlightens every man that comes into the world, so it uncovers and makes Christ manifest in his nature and spirit and also leads and guides towards him. And he that is led to Christ in spirit and born of him in spirit cannot miss the benefit and virtue of what he did in that body of flesh, for such a one is gathered into and found in that which is of him. Now, it is in and by this only that the soul receives that nature wherein the law is fulfilled. And the work of answering the law is through the renewing of the mind and the bringing forth of a new nature, every degree of which is begotten and maintained by Christ, the power of God. But by the old corrupt nature or mind, no man can do the things contained in the law, 
For this nature is enmity against God, and is not subject to his holy law, neither indeed can it be. But the law is spiritual, holy, just, and good, converting the soul and making wise the simple. This work it effects wherever it is written in the heart by the finger of God's Spirit. And now, as for being complete in Christ in a relative way, while the heart is still unmortified and unsubdued to God, it is dangerous to mistake about these things. I do confess that sins are pardoned upon a true belief, and the soul enters into the covenant of life, and is accepted with the Lord as it finds entrance thereinto and walks therein. And there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. But if there be a hearkening to the flesh, and walking after its lusts and desires, is there no condemnation then? Is not the justification in the covenant and according to the laws of the covenant? Alas, how do men imagine concerning these things? And so in their imaginations they justify themselves in that wherein the Lord condemns them, and they do not know the way of the covenant or the justification thereof. For there is a new covenant as well as an old, and the new is not like the old. And there is a walking with God in the new covenant where every step in it his life justifies, and every step out of it his life condemns. For the mediator of the new covenant justifies according to the new covenant, and never otherwise. Indeed, the way of God is perfect, the way of life, the way of reconciliation, the way of redemption, and the soul is only accepted and justified of the Lord therein. Concerning the True and Pure Way of Life this has been the cry of my soul from my childhood, even after holiness, after the presence of the Lord, after union with Him, after the nature and image of His Son, after a separation from what was contrary to Him, and a being brought forth in the power of His life. Now, blessed be the Lord who has revealed that which answers my cry, and inasmuch as my soul comes to partake of it, it is refreshed and satisfied with the supply of that which it thirsted and cried after. And now my earnest desire is that all who have felt the true cry might also be taught of God, and learn aright how to wait upon Him, and to walk humbly and in fear before Him, that nothing come between them and the cry of their souls. Oh, that they might be led by Him into the enjoyment and possession of that which the true birth which is born of the Spirit and is Spirit, naturally longs after. Now truly, there is no other way to life and satisfaction than by believing in that power and following that power which raised Christ from the dead, for this power is to work the work in all that are saved. To feel this power revealed within, to have the mind turned to this power, to follow this power in the regenerating work and path is the way to partake of its virtue and to experience the redemption which is in it and from it. He that is born of the Spirit and has his eye opened and daily exercised by the Spirit, such a one knows the Spirit and is acquainted with its stirrings and movings and is taught of God to distinguish them from the stirrings and movings of the evil spirit. In this way the soul does not quench the Spirit of God, nor grieve it when it moves, nor give way to the other spirit when it moves and allures. 
Now, the spirit of deceit allures and guides men not so much by outward rules as by an inward evil nature and by the law of sin and death. So, too, the spirit of truth leads into truth by the newness and power of its own life revealed in the heart, by the pure instinct of life within, and by the law of God written in the nature of the new covenant, which is nearer than outward words. For in the heart that belongs to him, God blots out what Satan had written there, and he writes by the finger of his spirit what he would have the new birth read there. And indeed, there is a kingdom of life, of righteousness, of true peace and joy, yes, of the holy power and wisdom of the Most High, for his children to read, who are born of his spirit and spring up of the immortal seed. Oh, why should men's eyes be closed and their hearts hardened against the truth? Why should they cry out for Christ in words and cry out against his life and power where it is revealed? Is this to kiss the sun? Can those who are guilty of this help but perish in the way of their soul's travels? Oh, how many must perish by their resisting the power of truth and the precious testimony of God's Holy Spirit who seeks to rescue out from that which captivates and destroys. Christ came to destroy sin, he having received power from his Father to do so. He knows this power to be of a destroying nature and that it will also destroy the soul if sin is not, by the power of life, consumed and destroyed in the soul. Oh, how precious to us is this visitation of truth, light, life, and power, which searches out and discovers sin to the very root, and also destroys it. And how glorious is that axe of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is laid to the root of the corrupt tree, and is daily hewing and cutting it down, that it might encumber the ground no more. For the heart is meant to become good earth, sanctified earth, circumcised by the Lord to bring forth good fruit, good grapes, and good increase of the good seed of life to the good gardener, who is worthy to reap the grace and mercy, love and goodness, wisdom and power, which he plentifully and daily sows in the spirits of his own. Glory to his name over all forever, who is exalted, exalts, and will exalt that which the several sorts of high professors, in their own wisdom, trample upon and despise. Concerning the perfecting of God's work in the heart. Is it not the will of God that his people and children should be sanctified throughout, in body, soul, and spirit? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is it not the will of Christ that his disciples should be perfect, even as their heavenly Father is perfect? Did he not bid them pray, The kingdom come, your will be done, in earth as it is in heaven? And would he never have them believe and expect that it should really be done in the earth as it is in heaven? Does not he who has the true, pure, living hope, which anchors within the veil, purify himself even as he is pure? Is not this the way to enjoy the promises of God's holy presence, who tabernacles in a people that are cleansed and sanctified, to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God? 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Will God dwell in an unholy temple? Will he dwell where sin dwells? 
he may indeed do so, when at any time they are tender and truly melted before him. He may be to them as a traveling man that tarries for a night, but he will not take up his abode there, walk there, sup there, and give them to sup with him. Has not Christ received all power, both in heaven and on earth, from his Father? Is not this the end of receiving this power, to bring down the soul's enemies, and to purify and sanctify his church, that it may be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? Is he not the captain of our salvation, anointed to fight the battles of the Lord? Where is the fight? Where is the strong man to be found, cast out, his goods spoiled, and the house emptied of him, and all that belongs to him? Is not Christ the author of faith and the finisher of faith? Does he not carry on the work of faith with power? And what is the work of faith? Is it not to fight with and overcome sin? Is it not to be too strong for the enemy and all his weapons? Is there not a whole armor of light, life, and salvation prepared? What is it prepared for? Is it not that the children of light should be wholly armed with it? Were there never any that were wholly armed with it? Are those that are armed with it afraid of the enemy, his power, his snares, his wiles? Or are they rather bold in the faith, following him who rides before them, conquering and to conquer? Oh, that men's eyes were opened by the Lord. Then they would see the glory of truth in the pure light which shines from God's holy mountain. Then the dark doctrines of the night, which tend to the dishonor of Christ, his power and love, and to the upholding of the enemy's kingdom, would pass away and prevail no more in the hearts of any that truly fear the Lord. Then they would quietly wait and hope for his salvation, that by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus they might be made free from the law of sin and death, and not always subject to it. For all whom the Son makes free are free indeed, and being made free by him, they may serve God in freedom of spirit without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of their lives. And then they truly know the power and virtue of the new covenant and the defense which is in it, where the wing of the Almighty overshadows and his salvation, revealed therein, is experienced for a sufficient wall and bulwark against the enemy. Concerning the True Knowing of Christ while people were in expectation and mused in their hearts concerning John the Baptist, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered the case and told them how they might discern and know the true Christ. It is not he, says John, that baptizes with water, but he that baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It is he whose fan is in his hand with which he comes to thoroughly purge his floor, gathering the wheat into his barn, and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, he that knows the one that does this work, and experiences him doing this work in him, does he not know Christ? Oh, is it not precious to be baptized by him whom God has appointed to baptize? Oh, the fan, the precious fan, wherewith Christ, who is the power and wisdom of God, separates the precious from the vile, severs the wheat and the chaff, gathers the wheat into the precious treasury, and lets out the unquenchable fire upon the chaff. 
Our God is a consuming fire, says the Apostle. To what is he a consuming fire? Is it not to the chaffy, earthy, drossy nature in men and women? If you bring chaff to the fire, will it not burn it up? And as that is burnt up and consumed, then that which is pure, that which is born of God, can dwell with and delight in the devouring fire and everlasting burnings. For God is not terrible to the child who is born of him, to him who is brought forth in the image and spirit of his son, but to the transgressing nature, to the seed of the evil doer, who are naturally inclined to do evil, and are every day doing evil, he is terrible forevermore. Concerning the light which enlightens every man. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John 1, 4 and 5. What is the darkness which does not comprehend the light? Is it not man and his unregenerate state? You were darkness, says the apostle, speaking concerning them as they had been in that state. Now, it pleases the Lord that in this darkness his pure light should shine, to gather men out of the darkness. For unless light should shine on man in his dark state, he could never be gathered out of it. And he that is turned to the light and follows it cannot abide in the darkness, but comes into that which gathers and preserves the mind out of it. But of what nature is this light which shines in man in his dark state? It is of a living nature. It is light which flows from life. It is the light which has life in it. It is the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the Word Eternal, which is the light of men. And he who comes to the true understanding may thereby distinguish it from all other lights whatsoever. Now, there's a vast difference between this light and the reason and understanding of a man. For the natural man, with his understanding, is dead. But this light is living and powerfully operating in man as it finds entrance and as his mind is joined to it. He that is dead indeed knows it not, but he that is alive unto God feels the virtue of it. This light is above all gathered knowledge whatsoever and above all descriptions of things whatsoever. For the light is the thing itself, the substance itself, even of the nature of him from whom it flows. A man may get a notion from this into his mind, which he may retain the dead knowledge of. Yes, such a notion may quickly become dead in man. But he that dwells in the thing itself knows and dwells in that which never dies. Inquiries Concerning the Time and Work of Reformation Inquiry number one. What did the time of reformation and substance, spoken of in Hebrews 9 verse 10, signify? Was it not the bringing in of the gospel, the day of Christ's spirit and power, the day of his inward renewing and reforming, the day of taking his fan into his hand to purge his floor, the day of his laying the axe to the root of the corrupt tree, that he may destroy the works of the devil in men's hearts, casting down and plucking up what his heavenly Father has not planted there? When Christ comes as a refiner's fire, and as a fuller's soap, 
to purify the sons of Levi as gold and silver is purged, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness? Is this not the time of reformation? Inquiry number two. Who is the reformer? Is it not the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he not create anew? Does he not blot out the old image and form into a new lump? For if any man be in Christ, there is a renewing there, a new building there. Yes, old things are passed away there, and there is nothing in him but what is new. He is faithful in all his house, inwardly to judge, condemn, crucify, subdue, destroy whatsoever is contrary to the nature and spirit of his Father, and to form and build up the spirits of his in that which is new and pure. Inquiry number three. How or by what does Christ reform? Is it not by his spirit and power, by his light and life and virtue? For nothing can change and reform the heart except that which is more powerful than the one who corrupted it. Inquiry number four. Where does Christ reform and newly create? Is it not in the new covenant, in the faith and obedience of this covenant? Does he not, by the laws of the new covenant, break and annul the laws of the old covenant and make void the covenant of hell and death? Does he not make an everlasting covenant of life and peace, even a holy, pure, living agreement between God his Father and the souls that belong to him? Thus, by his light, he overcomes darkness. By his life, he overcomes death. By his pure nature and spirit, he overcomes, chains down, subdues, and destroys that which is impure, breaking the bond of sin and iniquity and letting the oppressed go free from under it. Thus, he manifests himself to be the Savior by his holy anointing, breaking the yoke of the oppressor. Isaiah 10.27 Inquiry number five. Whom does Christ reform? Is it not those who take his yoke upon them and learn of him? Is it not those who are turned to the light of his spirit inwardly made manifest, those who are turned from the darkness, walking no more in it, but rather in his pure light? They that acknowledge his inward appearance in their hearts and turn from the enmity there unto him receiving his light, his law, his life, his spirit. These are daily exercised and reformed in their hearts by him. But if any man does not receive his light, his life, his spirit within, such a one is none of his, and he may reform himself as much as he can, but he knows not yet the day of the true reformation. Inquiry number six. How are they to walk whom Christ has begun to reform? Is it not in that light, in that spirit, in that covenant, in that grace wherein and whereby he has in some measure reformed them? Is it not in the newness of the spirit and in the law of the spirit of life? Here Christ walked before the Father, and here we also walk. 1 John 2, 6 For indeed, there is no pleasing the Father, or Christ our Lord and Master, outside of the virtue, life, and newness of his own spirit. Inquiry number seven. Does not Christ give of his grace in the gospel? And does not his grace make a glorious change? 
Does not Christ appear gloriously in the hearts of his people and in his assemblies who meet together in his name and wait upon him in that which is pure and living? Inquiry number eight. Was not this glory brought forth in the days of the apostles? Was not great grace then upon them all? I mean upon such as received and held the truth and the love of it. Did they not witness the peace which passes man's understanding? Had they not received the holy and spiritual understanding from him that is true, and were they not in him that is true? Did they not know victory and dominion over sin and death? Inquiry number nine. Was not this glory eclipsed, and did not a great darkness come over it, hiding it from the sons of men, so that, for ages and generations, they knew not the true spirit, the true light, the true life, the everlasting covenant, the holy gospel, the true church, the man-child, etc.? Have not these, with many other heavenly mysteries, been hid from man's eyes? And what has risen up since these things have been hid? Have not the shadows of the night taken place and overspread the Christian state instead of the light of the day? Has not Antichrist got up and a false church appeared? And has not that which is tender and begotten of God been disregarded, pressed down, restrained, and persecuted while false devotion and worship is set up instead of the true? Now, who is wise to understand the appearance of the Lord and the beginning of these things which is in a way contrary to man's wisdom. He that will discern them must come out from following man's own spirit, nature, and wisdom in himself into the sense and leadings of him who gives the true eyesight. The appearance of the Lord is inward and spiritual, and he who discerns it must have an inward and spiritual eye. It was said of old by mockers and scoffers, Where is the promise of his coming? for all things continue as they were from the beginning. The same Spirit will say so still, and yet, to that eye which the Lord has opened, He has already come inwardly, spiritually, in His own pure eternal life and power. Surely the precious effects of His coming are made manifest in many hearts, blessed be His name. Yet He is further to appear in glory and pure brightness, and so we wait further for His appearance, both in our own hearts and in the hearts of the children of men. We have met with our beloved, for our God, whom we have waited for, has appeared. The Son of Righteousness has arisen with healing under His wings, and we who have felt virtue and healing from Him cannot but rejoice and testify of His salvation. Oh, that all that love the Lord Jesus Christ in any measure of sincerity did know the way of the gospel, which is in the Spirit life, light, and power which is eternal, even in the grace and truth which is in him. And his kingdom, which is spiritual, and not of this world, cannot be shaken by this world, nor his Mount Zion removed, but is indeed able to shake all nations and kingdoms which kiss not the sun, but oppose him. Psalms 2.12 Blessed are they who are turned to the light of his Spirit, and who therein kiss and obey him. Some Inquiries Concerning the Spirit of Christ Inquiry number one. Do you know the Holy Spirit of the Father? You may have read something concerning it and have apprehensions in your mind about it, but do you truly know 
what it is by its inward appearances and operations in your own heart. Inquiry number two. Have you received God's Holy Spirit into your heart? Have you let in Christ's Spirit when he has knocked at the door of your heart and received him? For he that is a true child most naturally breathes and cries for the Father's Spirit, and the Father also most naturally gives his Spirit to them that truly and rightly ask him for it. Luke 11.13 Inquiry number three. Does the Spirit of Christ dwell in you? Has the stronger man cast the strong man out of you and taken possession of your heart, and does he dwell there? Then you may truly say that you are built up by God as a habitation for him in the Spirit. Inquiry number four. Does God's Spirit lead you into all truth that you need know and walk in? Are you a true child depending upon and guided by the Spirit of the Father? Can you not see your way except he makes it known to you? Are you a follower of the spotless lamb in the same spirit wherein he walked? Inquiry number five. Do you live in the spirit? Do you feel the spirit of God to be a fountain of life from which life springs up into you daily? Do you witness that scripture fulfilled in you? He that believes on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Have you received the living water from Christ, and has that living water become a well of life in you? Inquiry number six. Do you walk in the Spirit, in His newness of life springing up in your heart? Do you know the difference between walking in the oldness of the letter and in the newness of the Spirit? Inquiry number seven. Did you ever learn of the Father to know Christ? And did you ever learn of Christ to know the Father? And has the Father indeed revealed the Son to you? And the Son indeed revealed the Father to you? Or are you yet only in the dead and dry notions or barren comprehensions about these things? Inquiry number eight. Do you know how the letter kills and how the Spirit quickens and makes alive? And are you made alive by the Spirit? and born of the heavenly water and spirit, and so become spiritual, as the scripture testifies, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Inquiry number nine. Have you come under the ministration of the spirit? Do you know what the ministration of the spirit is? Or do you only know what the letter says concerning the ministration of the spirit, but remain altogether ignorant of the ministration itself? Inquiry number ten. Do you know what the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus means? Have you ever received this law, the law of the new covenant, the holy law of life written in your heart by the finger of God's Spirit? For the same Spirit that wrote the law of the letter in tablets of stone writes the law of the Spirit in the fleshly tablets of the heart. Inquiry number 11. Do you still grieve the Holy Spirit or quench it? or despise his prophesyings in your own heart. For Christ is a king, a priest, and a prophet, and he ministers in his sanctuary, in his temple, which the holy renewed heart is, in and by his spirit. Inquiry number 12. Do you know what the anointing is? Are you anointed with it? 
and does your whole ability lie in it, insomuch that you are daily sensible you cannot do anything of yourself, but must find God working in you, both to will and to do that which is right in his eyes, for his own good pleasure? Inquiry number 13. Did your religion begin in the Spirit, in the living ministration of the new covenant? Did your knowledge begin in feeling God opening your heart by His Spirit and giving you the understanding whereby you might know Him? Did your faith begin in His power, and does it stand in the same power to this day? Inquiry number 14. Does your worship stand in the Spirit and in the inward life of truth in your heart? Are you such a worshiper as the Father has sought out and made so? Or are you a worshiper of your own or other men's making? And do you keep within the limits of the living and spiritual worship and not transgress the law thereof? Oh, who would be mistaken and deceived about such weighty things as these, of so great necessity and concern? Who would miss God's Spirit and the law and covenant of life in Christ Jesus and be only in a dream concerning these things, without the true, demonstrative knowledge, possession, and enjoyment of them. Concerning the way of holiness, or the way of life, Christ is the way, the only way to the Father. There is not another. Now, everyone that will truly know Christ and come to Christ must learn of the Father. It is written in the prophets, All your children shall be taught of the Lord. Everyone, therefore, that has heard and learned of the Father comes unto me, said Christ. Here are two things necessary for everyone that would come to Christ. One is hearing of the Father. The other is learning what he teaches. For though a man does hear the living voice of the Father, yet if he does not learn and keep the instruction of life received from him, he may be drawn aside before he comes to the Son. But he whose ears are open to hear the voice and who feels the instruction of the Father to go to him in whom he has placed life, here the Spirit of the Father secretly draws in the inwards of a man's mind and spirit away from that which is really dead to that which is truly living. Now, when a man has come to the Son, in whom the Father has placed all the fullness of life, then he shall witness him to be the way to the Father, and he will teach him daily of the Father. And here is the state of true subjection to the Son experienced, whom the soul must hear, and of whom he is to learn in all things. And here the Son discovers the inward darkness of man's mind, and breaks down that in him which is contrary to God, having a daily cross ready for that which is to be crucified in him, whereby he shall die daily to himself. And as he dies to himself, Christ will reveal himself more and more in him, and he shall feel the pure seed of life springing more and more up in him, and living in him, and he in it. And in and through this, he shall come more and more into union and fellowship with the Father of spirits and the whole living body of his church and people. Now, to learn of the Father to come to the Son, and to learn of the Son to know the Father, and to walk in newness of spirit before him and not in the old dead knowledge and fleshly understanding, 
These are great mysteries. No one can learn such things by a literal conception and comprehension of things, but only as they are quickened, and as their minds and understandings are opened and kept open by the Lord. Therefore, this is the great skill and true wisdom, to know the shepherd and his voice, and his manner of appearing. And his way and manner of appearing is by visiting and reaching to the true birth, and by his power opening it, and thereby giving it to see, hear, and understand. And herein he also shuts up from the contrary nature, wisdom, and spirit in all men. Concerning Separation from the Spirit and Ways of the World There is a necessity of separation from the spirit, ways, and worships of the world by those that will be the Lord's people. The outward Jews were to be a separated people from all other people, from their gods, from their worships, if they were to enjoy the favor of the Lord and the blessings of the good land. God had separated them from all other nations, and they were not to mingle with them, neither in their worship, nor marriages, etc. So too the inward Jews, who are God's gathering of spiritual worshipers out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, are to be a separated and holy people to the Lord. For when God cast off the Jews, he sought out worshipers in their stead, even a spiritual nation and holy people of inward Jews, instead of that outward people, outward place of worship, and outward land, which he cast off. Now, those whom God seeks to be the new, inward, spiritual worshipers, instead of the literal and outward, must come out of all other ways and gatherings upon many mountains to the mountain of the Lord's house and to the place of his gathering. The command is express, Come out from among them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians 6 The primitive Christians were to separate from both heathen and Jews, even from their temple, priests, and ordinances, which were once of God if they were to be true worshippers under the gospel, worshippers of God's seeking. And now, after the anti-Christian corruption and darkness, Christians must come out of Babylon, that is, out of all forms of religion and buildings without the life and power, if they will be found worshippers in the day of restoration. For Babylon is the city of confusion, which is built, stands, and practices without the order and unity of the Spirit. And the command is as expressed to come out of Babylon, that is, to separate from all anti-Christian ways and worships, as ever it was to separate from the heathen and Jews. For there is no true worship in God's sight, except in the true way of separation from all false worshipers, who worship in forms and appearances of godliness without the life and power. O oh, blessed is he who is separated by the Lord from all that is not of him. But when one who does not know the Spirit seeks to separate himself, he differs from the others only in the outward form and appearance of godliness, but remains one in nature and ground with those from whom he separates. Thus the Catholics, and all professing Christians who do not feel the true Spirit, power, and life, are but one in their nature and ground, regardless of however great their outward differences seem. And those that separate further and further, even to the utmost extent outwardly, 
being not separated by the Lord from that nature and spirit wherein the enmity lodges, they are still inhabitants of one and the same city. For the city of Babylon is very large. They remain daughters of one and the same mother, even the wisdom which is from beneath, which wisdom, in its highest exaltation, is far beneath the nature and true excellency of the pure and heavenly wisdom. O oh, blessed is the religion, the worship, the separation, the fear of the Most High God, the faith, the knowledge, which begins in the spirit and power, in the evidence and demonstration of God's own spirit, and which stands and abides therein. For here are the children of light distinguished and kept distinct by God Almighty who has made the difference from all the children of darkness.